0: Hey, Dylan Kelly here, host of the Wave Break podcast. Excited to get into this episode, but first, here's a quick word from our sponsor. If you're looking to grow your business, there's only one way, and that is by building real quality customer relationships. Most marketing software will claim they do this, but they never deliver on their promises. And you need to demand more from your marketing software. And that's where Clavio comes in. Clavio helps you build meaningful customer relationships by listening and understanding cues from your customers, allowing you to easily turn that information into valuable marketing messages. And that's why 10,000 innovative brands, including all of our clients at Wavebreak have switched to Klaviyo. Now, What's the secret to building those customer relationships? Tune in to Klaviyo's Beyond Black Friday docu series to find out and unlock exact marketing strategies you can use to keep momentum going all year round. Just head over to klaviyo.com slash beyond BF for more. Link is going to be down in the show notes below. What is up everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Wavebreak podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Kelly, founder of Wavebreak. And if you're new here at Wavebreak, we help e-commerce stores stop leaking revenue with done-for-you email marketing. I want to tell you guys a quick little story so give you a little insight into my life. I always find that's like the most fun thing to do and when like I'm a listener, it's just like cuz you know, I just come on and ask questions. So here you're going to learn a little bit more about the host of the show, Dylan. So basically, the last few months, I have been sitting in a folding IKEA chair to work in. It was like $15 from IKEA, and it's literally like one of those plastic lawn chair things. Very uncomfortable. But not as uncomfortable as you would think. But it was very it was very uncomfortable. And the luckily, I think it was my mom or somebody Somebody smart, right? Like, mom's smart. Uh, moms are smart. Um, <laughs> somebody was like, okay, you should get at least get a cushion for it. Like, you know, like a, little, like a little padding. And I'm glad I did that. But long story short, like, it was only supposed to be temporary. Because, like, my old chair was falling apart. And I was moving. And, like, all these things were happening. So, I was like, okay, I'll get this chair. It's going to be a crappy chair. I'm not going to sit in it for long. I'm going to make sure it's crappy so that I get a new chair. Long story short, it took me, like, three months to get a new chair. Like that was back in March, and now I'm finally in my new chair. Like as of last week, um, but I was sitting in this crappy chair for the longest time, like my work chair at my desk um, for like eight hours a day, some days more. Um, you know, this in this just terrible chair, and I was, <laughs> I, I was suffering. Right, it sucked. It was a terrible chair. And I was like, I'm literally, I was literally killing myself sitting in a chair because when you sit in a crappy chair like that, you're not doing your body any good. And we only get one body. So we might as well treat it right. Right. And so I was suffering through the stupid chair. Now I have a good chair. And this chair is amazing. So I got a brand new chair. It's a nice chair. It's not like a thousand dollar, two thousand dollar, you know, expensive chair. Uh, I mean, it's not a cheap chair, but like it's a good chair chair. It's a solid chair. Like I'm recording this at the end of my workday and I could keep sitting in this until I go to bed and I'm going to be fine. Like the only time my back ever feels off in this chair is because I've been sitting wrong and because my posture has been wrong. Um, so it's a good chair and I feel great. And the only thing I had to do over the three months to feel better is all I had to do was make the investment in the chair, right? And the investment is paying off. And it's really not as big as it seemed before, right? It's like, oh, I got to get this chair. It's going to be this whole thing. Like, oh, you know, like I should wait for a sale or whatever. I should wait. Like the time's not right, whatever. But the reality is when you invest in your business and you invest in, you know, even as (laughs) as simple as a chair, right? But if we bring it back, like if you invest in a chair, like that's great, right? Like you're improving your life. And if we relate this concept back to business, investing pays off, right? When you invest in your business, you're making an investment. And your business is your number one investment, right? Because you have complete control over it and you get way more better gains in the stock market. And that's like a different pro- different talk for a different day. But my question for you is where do you need to invest in your business, right? Maybe there's a team member you need to hire. Maybe there's a part of your marketing that you need to redo. Like one area that you should really be thinking about investing in especially this time of year is email marketing because it is july and before you know it what's going to happen is it's going to be black friday and you're going to be scrambling and you're going to be trying to figure everything out and then you're going to leave a ton of money on the table because you didn't invest now and i'm doing you a favor and i'm giving you a heads up right right now is the time to do it because Back to school hits, and you think, okay, I have plenty of time, and then just Black Friday hits. You know how it goes. You've been down this path before, so it's time to invest in your email marketing. If you want somebody to do it for you, reach out to us. Go to wavebreak.co, read through our stuff, see if you're fit, and then schedule a call with us. Apply for a call. Um, if you're fit, we'll hop in a call, um, and we'll walk you through everything. And we'll share pricing, all that jazz. And if, if that sounds like a lot, then... I'll give you something completely for free. It's our e-commerce email success checklist. All you got to do is download the checklist, go through it. I say this every week, and in less than five minutes, you'll know exactly what you need to do to increase your email revenue. If you want a plan for getting your email marketing together by Black Friday, literally, you don't have to think of anything. You don't have to strategize anything. All you have to do is go to emailsuccesschecklist.com and I'll send you the exact plan you need to get your email marketing in check before Black Friday. Okay, I'll be coming out with a special checklist just for Black Friday really soon. But before that, you got to get your overall email program in check. So pick up that checklist. Go check it out. Email com. If you haven't got it already, go get it uh, because it's going to be replaced soon by a Black Friday checklist. But you really need your email marketing in general. You need that in place. You need that solid before you can even think about Black Friday Um, because otherwise you're just throwing money away every single day but anyway go check that out if you haven't already and if you're enjoying the podcast subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode and if you're really enjoying it and you've been listening for a while leave a review it really helps a lot and it's cool because then i can actually know what you guys think of the podcast and because a lot of people listen to it but it's not like a youtube video or a blog post where i can read the comments and see the interactions it's just like a lot of like listening and then okay, did I like it? If you liked it, leave a review. Uh, if you didn't, shoot me an email and tell me what you hated about it. And anyway, uh, so this episode, what is this episode about? Well, this episode, I'm actually super excited for this episode because the podcast has been growing like crazy lately. Uh, last month, the listeners doubled. So hello, new people. And I'm super excited for this episode. This is an episode we did a while back. Um, and basically... I had Rick Costic on the show. He's the co-founder and CEO of a company called 100% Pure. And they grew, they're a cosmetic company. They grew from nothing to nearly $30 million in annual revenue with no investors. So completely bootstrapped. They scaled to over eight figures. And I mean, that number is probably way higher now because that interview was, like I said, it was back in 2018. And the crazy part is so much of their strategy is just so basic and simple Simple, not easy, but it's simple that it'll work now. So you'll learn exactly, in this episode, you're going to learn exactly how 100% Pure bootstrap their way to eight figures. You're also going to learn the secret that Rick uses to stay productive, which he learned from his uh, mentor and advisor, Mark Cuban. Um, so that's a super good tip, as well as their marketing strategies and how they've been able to grow the business and a ton more. So without further ado, let's hop right into this episode. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Rick.
1: Thank you, Dylan. Pleasure to be here. I'm excited.
0: Yeah, same here. It's, it's taken us a, a while to sync up, but I'm excited to to chat and, and to learn more about what you guys are doing at 100% Pure and, um, and more about the journey.
1: Yeah, absolutely. A lot of exciting things ahead.
0: Yes, yes. So to get started, can you just give uh, the audience a rundown of what is 100% Pure?
1: Sure. So 100% Pure, we're a line of cosmetics and we have makeup is our biggest category where we use a fruit pigmented technology. So we've used fruit pigments to color the skin. And then that's followed by skincare. And we've been in business for about 12 years. So we've really perfected the art of emulsifying formulas and preserving formulas. So our formulas are truly natural. You have to read the ingredients. And we make them perform like your traditional cosmetics, like your chemical ones you buy and use. So we've we've really pioneered the natural cosmetic industry we also have some bath and body products and some accessories as well and primarily our distribute our biggest distribution channel is actually our website is 70 percent of our business and our business is unique in that usually an indie brand has about 70 percent of their business through wholesale channels like they'll sell to sephora or ulta or they'll sell to uh, uh even nowadays you have beauty upstarts selling primarily through amazon but we're primarily 70% through our branded website, which we uh, use Shopify to host. And the other 15% is our branded retail doors. We have 12 retail doors. We're opening three more this year, eight in California. And then we the other 15% is wholesale and distributors.
0: That's awesome. Thanks for the high-level overview. That's cool. And that's really crazy that you're 70% like direct through your Shopify sir. We'll have to get into that a little bit later. Um, and more on that, but for now, take me back to the beginning. Like, when did you start the company and can you give me a little bit of information about that?
1: Yeah. So it was, so there's actually a backstory to the brand. So we, we formed a brand. It's myself and two partners, Susie and James Wang. And we started in 2004. We incorporated, we say our official start was 2005. So reversing back my background, I was studying computer science at Berkeley And I would go with my mom to her hair salon and I would talk to the hairstylist there. And he had an idea of doing shampoos and conditioners, like a a hairline for teenagers. And so I told him, I said, you know what? Teenagers are on this new thing called the World Wide Web and we can program out a website and we can actually sell through a digital presence on the World Wide Web. And uh, he thought that was pretty cool. So we partnered up. And we launched five shampoos, five conditioners. Uh, we named it after him. And we, we launched the website. And also at that time, Sephora, we had some traditional wholesale. Sephora picked it up. Nordstrom picked it up. And this is how I met Susie. So Susie, my dad showed me an article in Forbes profiling Susie. And it said Susie was doing the same thing. She was creating a, a, a skincare line, a line of powdered masks in her dormitory room. She was attending Berkeley. And he said, "Do you know her because she's doing the same thing she's going to the same school?" And I said, "No, I, I don't know her." and I started reaching out to her, so eventually, I made contact with Susie, and i at that time I had since we sold off our line to a distributor, so that was done, and it was I was ready for the next thing and Susie, at that time she told me she she was formulating for some of the biggest companies in the world, and she told me how when she was formulating one day she knocked over this vial of chemical and it worked. The table, it worked the lab table. And she was saying, you know, there's these things we're putting in cosmetics that I don't think it's good for our bodies. I don't think it's it's really good for our skin. Our skin's our largest organ, it's ingesting, it's getting inside our bodies. And you know how long like pesticides and chemicals stay in your body. It stays in um, pretty much for your lifetime or for years. And I said, Well, you know, do you enjoy formulating? You have this contract. She had a contract in front of her where she would be tied down for the next five to 10 years of her life formulating for this very large cosmetic company. And she really was disillusioned didn't want to do it. And I I told her this, I said, you know, we know how to start a line. Why don't we just make our own line? And then one of us came up with 100% Pure, we're not sure who. And then Susie said her brother was graduating from college at the time and, and could help us out. And that's when uh, we joined forces with James, her brother, and the three of us, we launched 100% Pure. And we actually, so I, I immediately made the website because th- this was 2004, 2005 and I knew how to code. So I just put it up. I think back then there were, I don't think Shopify existed back then. I think it was, uh, I can't even remember who we first used. It might've been Volusion or something, a platform like that. And then we, uh, We launched it through traditional brick and mortar distribution as well. Our main customer was actually Bath and Body Works because they had a concept at that time competing with Sephora called their flagship stores where they sold other products. And then we invented a new technology of fruit pigments. Susie was picking blackberries in the garden and she showed me her fingers and said, look, Rick, look at how this blackberry stains my fingers. What if we put this into cosmetics? And that's where I said, wow, that's brilliant. Yeah, if we could figure out how to do that, we'd have something entirely novel and new for makeup. And so we took that and we put that in formulas and we launched that on QVC. So QVC sort of helped give us our start for the first three years. But then this is what helped me really focus on the online. Our QVC relationship broke down in 2009 and we, we stopped selling through QVC. We also had been in and out of Sephora with our previous brands. So we know that those, you know, the the big retailers, it's it's tough doing the managing the business through big retailers. It's pretty cutthroat, pretty tough. They can cut you at any time and you lose a huge chunk of sales. And so I realized our website was doing pretty well. And I said, look, you know, our web business is, is pretty stable, pretty solid. And you have this solid base of consumers and you control that direct relationship. And then we had all this inventory coming back from QVC. And I said, you know what, I'm, we're going to really focus on our web business and really put our energy into growing the web business. It's what we know. It's what we do best. And we really focused on at that time, you know, year 2009, we focused on SEM and email because those were the main drivers of your business. And we also opened up retail stores. I mentioned we had retail stores. So we opened up a Berkeley retail store in 2006. It was just on a whim. I saw space release and we said, I wonder what it's like to open a store. And we literally, we went to Ikea, we got shelves, we went to a sign shop, we bought a sign and we went to Office Depot and bought a cash register. And we put our products up. It's on College Avenue in Berkeley. And we opened up shop and the community really supported us. So I'm, I'm very grateful to the, the Berkeley community for coming out and showing us support in our early days. So we have this great mix of web sales and retail doors. And we started opening up more retail doors and focusing on the web business. And it just from 2009 until 2018, we've grown the business, you know, about five times, 5x. So it's it's been and that growth has brought us to
0: today. That's an awesome story. I don't even know where to start to dive in, um, but like first things first, the way that you figured out what to put in your products was just uh, that's an awesome story. That's brilliant, and I also really liked how you guys doubled down on what worked in a time where everyone was going wholesale. You saw this direct to consumer um, the opportunity, and you went for it. And what's also interesting is that this was also the same time as the recession. What was it like building this business through a recession? I think a lot of people would say that, you know, things are going really well right now. Can you tell me a little bit about what it was like building your business through that recession?
1: Yeah, so that's that's really interesting because, yeah, things are going really well now and, and recessions are inevitable. You know, it's the cycle. It happens at some point. And so the recession time was when we lost our QVC business and where we really focused on driving the web business and You know, I came up with a lot of, uh, we had a lot of inventory at that time because we had the inventory come back from QVC. So I did a lot of promotional during the recession and, uh, our business actually went down between 2009 and 2010, but it went down because of the loss of the QVC business. It didn't go down because of the web business going down. The web business grew in the recession and, uh, it, we didn't we were i felt like we were a little insulated from the recession it didn't seem that scary to us i don't know if we were just we we're younger then so maybe just very fearless more fearless but uh the number one thing is you know you got to watch out from your spending don't overspend overcommit make sure that you can weather the storm if a recession does happen
0: right right that's smart and so fast forwarding to now um you said since then you've you've grown 5x You've grown a lot. You've got retail stores. Um like what size is the business now? Like how many employees do you have? What's your revenue look like?
1: Sure. So we're we're at our corporate office. So we do our own fulfillment too. We're different in that aspect. We're located in Silicon Valley in San Jose and we have our fulfillment with our offices in one location. So we have about 60 to 80 employees here in the office and in the warehouse side. When we started the company, we manufactured everything ourselves. So literally, Susie, James, and I, we made everything out of our Napa farmhouse. We just made everything out of our home. We lived together because we're working together. And then we ended up buying a warehouse. We manufactured, bought another warehouse, manufactured. And then we decided to get out of manufacturing just because James was running manufacturing and he was sort of killing himself on the manufacturing. He, He dropped things on his toes or or spill some hot water on him, and
0: oh, literally, and yeah, literally. So, <laughs> I'm picturing so him amazed. like drowning in work, not like actually killing himself. Man. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally, physically, <clears throat> physically affecting him. So we we made the board decision we're going to get out of manufacturing, even if it's going to mean um, you know it's going to take longer for us to get products. Uh, it actually has uh, impacted us a little bit, so we're planning. I'm actually looking to build a new manufacturing facility. Uh, maybe in California, uh, maybe not. We're working with the state of California to see if we can build it in California. And so I'm looking to get back into to manufacturing. And I'm totally sorry, Dylan, I forgot your question that I was answering
0: for you. <laughs> no worries. It was, um, I just asked uh, about like the size of the business now and how many employees.
1: Ah, so we have 60 to 80 at headquarters. Then we have with our retail store. So all told, we have 150. I also... About a year ago, I opened up a subsidiary in China. So I have 13 employees in China, and they're, they run 12 of them are supporting on the marketing side for that market, and one is supporting on the sourcing side for packaging. And then cosmetics is interesting because to sell into China uh, directly and keep inventory on the ground, you have to test on animals. We will not test on animals. Even when required by law, we will not test on animals. You have a lot of companies saying, we will not test on animals unless required by law. We're not like that. We say, we will not test on animals even when required by law. We just will not. So that means our entire China business is a cross-border business. So they manage the channels out there, the Mall, the JD, the VIP, the Red, all the marketplaces. Because predominantly in China, all sales happens through marketplaces. It's not your branded website.
0: That's awesome. You guys practice what you preach, and you've done that up to about 150 employees. Now, what does the size of 100% Pure look like from a sales standpoint?
1: Yes. So, sales. We're a private company, so we don't disclose too much sales wise. But I can tell you, you know, we're we're approaching near 30 million is kind of the uh, uh, the size we are right now. And you can take 70% of that and see how big we are on the e commerce side on our website
0: nice and so you took the business from from zero dollars back at berkeley to well into the eight figures now you can't just spray and pray to, to grow your business take us inside your mind like how do you know what to prioritize in your business there's so many things you could be doing but only so many hours in the day like how did you how did you go from zero to eight figures i know that's like a big big question and we could talk forever about that but like, how do you know like what to prioritize in terms of like, okay, you said like, we have this, we, we might move our manufacturing over and then you also got things going on in China. You have all these things going on, but it doesn't seem like you're just like rushing into things. You've been in business for a long time. Like what does your your process look like for deciding those things?
1: So it's really important in business and I've learned a lot over the years about how to run and grow a business and, and manage employees and everything involved with that. But the number one thing, is to stay focused and this is something not just me speaking but we uh in the industry we won this thing called beauty pitch one year and i got mark cuban as our company advisor or unofficial mentor for one year and this was something he preached to me as well was stay focused you really need to be laser focused so you lay out your strategy or you you everything comes down to your mission so number one you need a mission for your company if you don't have a mission That should be your number one priority is to create your mission. Why your mission, your vision and your values? You know, what is the purpose of your company? Why are you existing? So it's our mission to impact the lives and improve the lives of six billion people and animals. And it's really important that your mission is concise. You don't want it too vague. That's why we use six billion. And that's an audacious mission for us. And then we say, now, how are we going to accomplish our mission? And you can break it down to granular. What can I do this year? to get me further to my mission. So for us to get further to the mission this year, we need to get bigger. Because if we just donated all our money to people and animals to improve their lives, we wouldn't make a dent in that six billion number. So we need to focus on growing our company bigger so that we can make a dent in that number and we can actually achieve our mission. So this year it's about increasing sales and increasing profitability. Why profitability? Because you need that profit to fuel your growth. Especially if you're doing, you know, we're bootstrapped, we didn't take in any investors. We bootstrapped the entire way along. And because we're bootstrapped, profitability is critically important because those profit dollars go back into your business to grow it. Without profit, you can't grow unless you're taking in outside money. So then I have my two goals, a profit and a sales goal. And then every employee reporting to me goes is aligned, makes their own goals that's aligned to those two goals. So every decision in the company goes back to are we supporting our mission? Are we supporting those goals? Those goals are supporting the mission. So are we supporting those goals? And then, so that's one side of it. So your mission, setting goals, your vision, your values. The other side of it is you need to set a strategy. Now the strategy has to be aligned with your mission. So I I switched our strategy. I mentioned earlier that we built this business, you know, with SEM, it wasn't that competitive. I think I was one of the first people on Google AdWords. And then you have everyone, you know, SEM is super competitive right now. It's not like it was before. It's not, it's, it's really expensive. So the next shift, the strategy I laid out, I said, Hey, I see a shift happening. You got to be able, and this is where you need to be able to transport yourself to the future, at least be able to look into the future. And this just comes from researching and even listening to podcasts like this one is learning what's, what's the state of the landscape in the future and how can I gear my strategy around that? So the strategy I laid out based on what I see in the future is a content based one, because right now content it's getting more competitive, but there's a lot of opportunity in content. So we're on a major content push. So I've doubled down on that's writing blogs. That's, uh, even doing podcasts or, um, Taking, you know, creating video, creating photography. We have a videographer on staff. We have a photographer on staff. And it's also another part of that strategy is influencers. We're targeting the influencers to really connect with the consumers to drive the purchasing behavior. So you lay out your strategy, you lay out your goals, you put the two together and you really focus on that and don't deviate and always plan in the future. Don't plan right right now what you're doing for this month. Always try to plan out what you're doing three, four months down the line and execute for now, but plan for the future.
0: Wow. Wow. lot to unpack there, man. That was a great answer. Um, yeah,
1: sorry. That was, that was a winded answer. Yeah. <laughs> no,
0: no. But I mean, you, I think you needed that much time to explain it. Like, I don't think you rambled or anything, but like the system and the strategy and the goals and the mission, like it all ties together and it all starts with the mission. And then from there, you have your goals. And then from the goals, what I think is really cool is like, I think a lot of companies are just spraying and praying. I, I use that word already, but just like, okay, here's our revenue goal or whatever. Like they don't really know what they don't really have a why. And they don't really know how. And it might be the the founder's goal to get the company here, but like no one else on the team really knows the goal. Um, do you think that sharing the goals with your team and having everybody working towards the same goals and the same mission, uh, like, do you think that makes an impact on hitting your goals?
1: Yeah, you, you brought up a very good point. So your mission becomes more critical when you're bringing others onto the team because you might start a business just because you want to make money. And you're thinking, what's my mission? My mission is to make me rich. It's to make me a lot of money. Well, not a lot of people are going to want to work for you with that mission to make you rich. Who wants to work for you to make you rich, right? So you 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 need to really make a mission that's not about making yourself rich or making yourself money, you need to think about a a different reason you're doing this. At the end of the day, money is just a scorecard. It's not really, I mean, you're going to be successful and it's not going to matter that much. It's just your scorecard on how well you're doing towards your mission. And it also gives you fuel to accomplish your mission. So make sure your mission is not about making money and then your people will buy into that mission and they'll work harder for you and they'll feel connected with the brands and with the
0: company. I love it. And I'm sure that affects like your churn and your, um, did I say churn? I don't mean churn. Um, (laughs) What's the (laughs) turnover? Turnover. 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 Man, I'm thinking in recurring revenue, I don't know why. Um, (laughs) churn. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And I'm sure that plays a role in, in like retention and retaining employees. What's like, do you see it? Do you notice a difference there with a better mission?
1: Absolutely. You get people aligned. You know, people want a purpose in life and you're giving them a purpose. You create a mission. You give them a purpose. Everyone here is making an impact towards that mission. Everyone here from their work, other people's and other animals' lives are being improved as a result of their work. It's a feel good. You don't just want to work for money. It's kind of empty reason to work. You want to work for something greater, greater than just bringing home a paycheck. And it makes you feel really connected. So, so it definitely works on uh, decreasing turnover. There's a lot of factors to decrease turnover, but this is a major one.
0: Right, and now you have a, you have a huge team now. Well, I, I would call it huge. Um, <laughs> 150 people is a decent amount. Um, how do you hire good talent? Do you have any advice for finding great employees? So
1: number one is you got to hire to the culture. Don't just try to hire for the job. Oh, I think this person can do a great job. Because you have people with different culture mindsets, and this is something I've learned the hard way, is you can get culture clashes that just slow you down like crazy. So you can always train for the job. If you get someone who's smart, who's bright, fits the culture, maybe they don't have the right skill set exactly, but you can give them the training and the tools and the empowerment to get the job done. But you can't train for attitude and culture. That's a that's a lot harder. So some people, they want a culture, for example, of, Really aggressive people who just work hard all through the night and, uh, uh, you know, they work 16 hour days and they do whatever it takes to get the job done. That's a culture. That's not our culture. Our culture is we want you to have a balance, you know, care about your family, work really hard. When you're here at work, you're really focused, you get the job done, and you're extremely empowered. You're expected to take on a lot. No one's going to tell you what to do. You got to figure out your job and you got to achieve your goals. So that's kind of our culture. And at the end of the day, you go home and you have a great family life. And hopefully, everything is planned out. We're not putting out fires that you're going to have a, a well balanced life. So hire for your culture. If you have that culture of everyone working hard, working 16 hour days, and you hire someone who values a work life balance, it's not going to work out. And alternatively, if you have a work life balance and a culture of people who like to go out and do, you know, fun things on the weekend, and then you hire, Someone who just likes to work really hard, he or she is going to get disillusioned with everyone else at the company, think that they're slackers, and you're going to have a big culture problem on your hand.
0: Yeah, I think that's something that a lot of people overlook until they make the mistake and they realize like, oh, this is a bad fit um like culture's really important especially like you said like the work life balance like those are two two totally different types of people like the aggressive person versus the person who likes to be present in everything they do work really hard and then uh, i guess for lack of a better phrase play really, really hard. hard with their family yeah. <laughs> yeah um but yeah that's that's so cool so um like is that something that you guys have always had um like that you've always cherished at 100% pure like okay we really value uh, spending time with their family, working really hard, but also playing really hard? Or is that something that you guys kind of came to terms to over time?
1: It's something I came to terms to over time and, and then the company came to terms to over time. It's not something I always had because I used to myself work like crazy and show myself working at crazy, stay at the office really late. And uh, But I've, I've come to terms with that and realized I really need to set the example. So I make sure every day, yeah, I'm in at eight, but I'm out by 536. You won't see me pass six o'clock at the office, even if I'm doing emails at home and and stuff at night, I don't want my staff seeing that I'm working. I want to set the example that, Hey, get your work done during the day, work hard during the day so that you can be home with your family at
0: night. Nice. I like that.
1: Yeah. It's evolved over time. And there were periods of time when we didn't have that and and it created chaos in the company. It wasn't uh, fun for the employees
0: yeah and and that's something like speaking of like kind of evolving is there anything else that you might do differently or some of the things that you do the same now that you've grown
1: you know I would have if I learned a lot of lessons earlier but who's to say I wouldn't have learned the lessons if I did them if I went a different path so I needed to learn the lessons one way or another I I, right I I didn't have someone uh, telling me what to do Uh, one of the things you can do is find a mentor mentors really help I wish I had a mentor when I was uh, starting the company or more mentors to lean on, to get advice on. A lot of it was just learning through trial and error, which I feel slows you down a little bit. But I really wish I knew about how to manage employees, keep employees focused, create goals, get everyone aligned around the mission. I wish I knew that earlier on. That's the one thing I would have changed.
0: So now you've said you've you've been mentored by like Mark Cuban for a year right yeah and yeah, so, that was awesome yeah that, that's crazy so do you have mentors now and do you still like do a lot of that
1: I I network quite a bit so I talk to everyone in the industry I make sure another thing that Mark Cuban taught me that really hit home was he said know your industry and I might quote him wrong but he said know your industry better than anyone else and so that's something I really take pride in is, is I know the cosmetic industry, I think better than 99.9% of the people. Uh, I know I'm not perfect. So there's probably some people out there that know it more than better than me, but I make sure I talk to as many people as possible about new technologies, new ways of doing things. I uh, t- sometimes I'll listen to, you know, I'm always learning, I'm, whether it's listening to podcasts or whether it's going to a conference to learn about new things. And I I track competitors. So as far as mentors, I don't have any official mentor, but I have a lot of a network of unofficial mentors.
0: Yeah. And that's powerful stuff, especially when you're that person in your industry. And it's kind of like, oh, I need this or I want to learn more about this. And it's just like you shoot that email or you you call that person and they just pick up because it's like your friends like that's powerful that's when you know you're powerful and you have a lot of I don't mean like powerful like destroy the world but I don't know if maybe that's <laughs> the right way to say but it's like that's like a, a great place to be in if you want to like if you have a if you have a mission like you guys do at a hundred percent pure and you're serious about um, achieving it
1: right yeah and I have a lot i in my network I have a lot of friends that are very successful and they help mentor me along the way, which I appreciate.
0: How do you meet those people? Do you just like bump into them at conferences or what's that look like in practice?
1: You know, sometimes it's introduction through other people you meet. In fact, that's a lot of it. So you might uh, meet a few people at a conference. You, you always want to, one thing I noticed with very successful people is that they're really positive people. And so one of the things is if someone's, pretty negative, it's probably not so good to associate too much with them. You want to keep yourself around very positive people. And the positive people are really successful people. So that's how you first align yourself with successful people. So yeah, you can meet them at conferences, you can meet them at industry events, you have to get out there to meet people, you can meet them through even LinkedIn, you know, just reaching out to someone through LinkedIn. And you can you can get to know other people who are successful who are related to your industry. and then sometimes they will introduce you to other people and then your network just grows.
0: Yeah. And even if there's just a the small thread, like you connect with someone on LinkedIn and then six months from now, you happen to be at, a, at the same conference as them. Um, they don't want to just sit around and twiddle their thumbs. They want to meet people that they know and they've heard of you. And it's just, I mean, I've had weird things like that happen to me where it's like, I randomly connect with someone. And the next thing I know, it's like, they're going to this conference or whatever. And it's like, um, it's just like a little thing like that can like produce a big friendship just like out of nowhere. And then it's like you learn from it and you grow your business because of it. It's it's really cool how that works.
1: Right. Yep, that's exactly it. You got it.
0: Speaking of the future and where you guys are going, you touched on content and how you guys are on a major content push right now. Like what's that look like? Like how are you, like what types of content are you focusing on? Are you just testing a bunch of things?
1: So one of the, Areas we're focusing on is SEO and winning the, what I call the SEO war with uh, written content. So this is just writing blogs and then it's, it's not about just writing the blog. You got to write the blog and then you have to add the pictures. You have to tag it appropriately. You have to have, you know, the right amount of backlinks in the blog. And then when you write a blog, you think about what is this blog answering? What question of the consumer is this answering? What are they typing into Google? that this blog is going to come up and give them what they want from that, what you're typing into Google and whatever you're typing in Google, it has to be searched for by a lot of people. It can't be something that's searched for by like uh, 20 people a month. You want to go after, you know, some bigger keywords. And then with those blogs, you need them to rank because you could write a blog and if it doesn't get ranked, nobody's going to see it. The purpose of writing the blog is to get ranked high on SEO and then draw people into your brand and into your website and you get them pixeled at the same time when they click on that blog and come to your website. So that's one area of content. So blogs are both writing and photography. And then other areas of content are videography because the future is video. You know, as we increase internet speeds and, you know, you started to see, you know, when Instagram launched, it was just pictures, but now it has video on there as well. Video is going to get more and more commonplace, And then with that longer video on YouTube, YouTube, you know, everyone's on YouTube. You can just like SEO on Google, you have SEO on YouTube. So we need to create more content for YouTube. We haven't quite figured that out yet. Our YouTube presence is very small, but uh, I believe this is our strategic target for the future is video.
0: Yeah. Before you know it, you guys are going to be everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And that's, yeah. And that's definitely going to help you achieve that mission of helping all those people and animals.
1: Yes, it it will. And educating people. Through education, we can also help improve people's lives. So creating content helps create that education on why you should use healthier products.
0: Before we sign off, um, do you have any closing thoughts or words of advice to end on? Whether somebody's at, they just passed a million in total sales or they just got into the eight figures.
1: You just have to stay focused and enjoy it. Make sure you're having fun. Make it fun and enjoyable. You know, business is fun. So make sure whatever you're doing, it's fun, that you have a purpose, and that you stay focused. Don't lose focus. That's my number one word of advice.
0: I love it. Um, Where can we go to learn more about you and 100% Pure? Yeah,
1: so our website is 100, spell out percent. So 100, P-E-R-C-E-N-T, P-U-R-E. So spell out percent pure, 100percentpure.com. percent
0: com. right, cool. And I'll link that up in the show notes below. So be sure to check that out. Um, we'll have to spy on your SEO strategy and keep watching your blog to, to see how that does. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, it's doing really well.
0: We'll keep and you accountable. Even
1: Shopify used our blog as a case study, which is nice on their site.
0: No way. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, because our blog awesome. is one of the top performers.
0: That's great. I'll link that up in the description as well. Great. Well, hey, thanks so much for coming on the show, Rick. You dropped a lot of valuable knowledge bombs. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, yeah, no problem, Dylan. Anytime. Enjoyed it. Thank you.
0: Now, listener, before I sign off, stop me if this sounds familiar. Your email marketing is stuck. You feel like you could be doing email better. You're not generating enough email revenue, and you feel like you're leaving money on the table. But you don't have the time to figure email out yourself or, or do it on your own because you have a business to run. Imagine this, imagine not having to worry about leaving money on the table with your email marketing. Imagine not having to figure out what to send, when to send it, how many emails should look, what automation you need, what segments you need, how often you should be contacting your email list or just worrying about sending the next email. You don't have to worry about any of that. Imagine having peace of mind knowing that your email marketing is generating sales in good hands. At Wavebreak, we help Shopify stores maximize their email marketing revenue. That's it. We don't do anything else. And we've created a system called the Wave Break Method that, number one, makes you less dependent on Facebook or other marketing channels. So let's say something bad happens. Facebook says, see you later, Shopify store, and they just completely kill your ad traffic overnight. You, you don't have to worry. You don't have to stress because you're good to go because you have a cushion of email revenue. You don't have to worry about how or uh, <laughs> what, what your wife is going to do or... If you're going to be able to make rent or if you're going to be able to pay people because you have this cushion of email revenue to rely on. Number two, the second thing this does is huge. And it's how stores scale from seven figures to eight figures uh, to nine figures. And the secret is repeat purchases. The Waybreak method gets rid of one-time buyers and increases repeat orders. Number three, it keeps your email list engaged. You don't have to worry about Black Friday and beyond. We'll figure out the ideal amount of times that your list needs to be contacted to maximize revenue, and then we'll execute it for you. If you want to learn more about this system and how we can work together to apply it to your business, go to wavebreak.co to schedule a call with me. And I'll personally send you my calendar link and we can chat one-on-one. Now, I don't have unlimited time to do these calls. I can only do a couple of them per week. So if you want to get your call, uh, go sign up at wavebreak.co for it as soon as possible and we can talk about how we can work together. Thanks for listening to this episode. Subscribe to the show on iTunes to get notified of new episodes as soon as they drop.